This is the Shift Podcast. Environmental specialist Lily Woodbury joined us to talk about messaging in and around the environment and how it's working against all of us. Also, flip phones come making a comeback. Blaine Kylo fills us in about how um, Google's stepping into the VPN market as well for business. Some insight on some video games too, and a remake of a video game, brand new, but a remake that you don't want to miss. Are you okay with landing a helicopter to get an ice cream kick in the middle of a town? What about MLB not having the rights to the website or the name of the team it just chose? And um, how about a Chewbacca breakup story? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. There's been so much going on in the conversation around the environment. Uh, as there should be. You know what? After spending a bunch of days in Salmon Arm, choked by smoke, you know, uh, talking to my friend Pat, who's a farmer, and listening to what Pat has to say about, you know, drought, but then also listening to what Pat has to say about, this is what happens when you're a farmer, drought happens. The trending with the, uh, I don't know, Lily, if I told you, we had an, a, uh, an extreme weather person, like they studied nothing but extreme weather on on the shift and it was remarkable uh to get into what what they had said about patterns right how many warm records have we set versus not you know cold records and so on and so forth with patterns of weather so it was cool but we also can't get caught up in all the drama of all the things going on so how do we do this well this is what you do you call someone you trust and you say hey uh this is the smartest person that i know uh, she's studied environmentalism and this is what her jam is she dedicates her time to cleaning up beaches and taking care of the oceans because Lily uh, Woodbury is in Tofino on the very, very westest of the coasts here in Canada. And uh, thanks for sharing some time, buddy. It's good to see you. Oh, good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. And those uh, kind words, I hope I can live up to them. Not sure I can, but I'm going to do my best. Oh, you always do. Um, <laughs> so when we look at all of these things that are going on in the world here, we've got, I mean, we can take this a million directions. We can say forest fires. We can mm -hmm. say all of these things. We also can't get caught up with the drama of things we've already known. You said it best to me when we were chatting about it. These are all yeah. things that we've already known. Drought is drought. We've had droughts in Canada. Um for like decades at a time in certain areas. So th these things matter. We have to stay grounded with this, but at the same time, you're an environmentalist. So you just want people to pay attention and do a better job. So how in the world do you guys get through this? <laughs> it's a great question. And I think it's one that, that requires a lot of balance in straddling the line of that balance. You know, like there's these very intense things happening. So we have droughts, floods, extreme weather. It's happening more consistently, more extremely. It's, you know, putting people who are already marginalized, even greater threat. So we have a responsibility to learn about that, to know that. But at the same time, there's also so much just like focus on data and reports. And let's just like share all of this information. What we need to be doing is learning and taking that knowledge. And if we're in the position to do so, taking action on it. Like, like I said to you earlier, we, we, we know how bad it is. You know, the UN just issued a code red for humanity. We knew it was that bad, 
we've known it's been this bad for so long. Like we know we had until 2030 to turn this around. You know, why do we have more and more reports coming out and governments still don't do anything? And that's what it comes down to is like keeping that balance of knowledge, but taking action again, if you're in the position to do so, which not everyone is. Well, and that's the, these are the pieces of the puzzle that get left out right now. It gets inflamed on social media. You have a bunch of people that are sharing, um, convenient facts from it. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. they're inaccurate. I'm just saying they're the convenient ones. And, and then it just makes everybody else who might entertain it and listen, start to shut down. And I mean, I'm one of those people, uh, there was this great post I was reading. I don't remember where it was from. I was kind of flipping through the pages of the post and I thought, you know, okay, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then it went on this rant about fossil fuels and it said about burning fossil fuels and stopping burning fossil fuels. Well, we all know that burning fossil fuels is something that needs to be taken care of. I mean, there needs to be an alternative that comes. But the the thing was, is that this is the same person to me that says nothing about plastics and use of, like it talked about mining fossil fuels. Yet this is a person who's sitting on a computer that's made of plastics and all kinds of other minerals posting or pontificating about. So it's incredibly one-sided. And so how do you get the message through to people Yes, we should be dri- we should have been driving more fuel efficient cars for decades by now. It, <laughs> the technology's been around, it's been scooped up by big corporate and put away, and now it's finally getting put to use and yeah. it's getting better. So how do how do you get through that? I mean, as an environmentalist, that must drive you crazy because the, some of these people just aren't helping. Yeah, like there's definitely a level of armchair activism, but I also do think that like there's this term called slacktivism which just basically, it basically is a term for like online activism in form of like online lobbying, petitions, sharing letters, writing letters to elected officials, you know, sharing information through different media platforms, connecting with others. And I think they're like, there's a lot of criticism about it, but it can be done really well. Also like the, the disabled community, they use online platforms a lot to connect to empower one another and to mobilize because a lot of folks just don't have the same accessibility of perhaps going to a government delegation of going and protesting in the streets. So for one, like the online is incredible for, for making, making environmental work more accessible to people. Um, But in the same sense, you know, there are just the people who are on there who just want to troll about things who aren't actually making it any better. So it's like, again, no matter what avenue we're choosing, we need to choose to be effective. Just because we're doing something doesn't mean we're doing it right, whether it's online or in person. And to be honest, we need a mix of both. Yeah, well, and so you have bureaucracy continuing to turn, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not really getting much done, at least on the street level. You have a bunch of people who say they care, but they they don't stop themselves from traveling or buying new cars or having the brand new iPhone. I always use this as the best example. When it's earth hour and everyone's going to shut down for one hour, the irony for me is the people who continue to post online because they're on their battery mm-hmm. running using the servers <laughs> and the cell towers, uh, and they take pictures of their paraffin candles that they're sitting next to, when they do it, you know what I mean? Like it's, that's a great example of, okay, you missed the point here. Yeah, totally. Totally. There is a lot of that, but I also like, I don't know, I guess I become sympathetic to people because we put so much emphasis on individual citizens. And then, you know, meanwhile, we have 100 companies responsible for over 70% of emissions. 
you know, and I think like to get people involved and to get people more literate about, you know, perhaps earth hour and burning the right candle and not the paraffin. I got the beeswax, you know, when we don't have that level of literacy coming from our governments and institutions and all structures of our society to the people, how do we expect people to know? Like how many of us got environmental education in elementary school and high school? I didn't. I, I even went, you know, I went to environmental studies and university and I didn't even learn about plastic pollution at that point. Really? And like, I look at my curriculum and then I ended up, you know, steeped in the field of plastics right after. So it's like, how do we expect individual citizens to do something when the very essence of our society isn't again, steeped in environmental stewardship and protection and knowledge about this. And I think now there's a lot more knowledge and people have the responsibility to do so. I think there's a lot of privileged people who like absolutely have a chance to do something and choose not to. And that's not cool. But at the same time, like we put so much emphasis on, you know, grow your carrots, take shorter showers. Meanwhile, corporations are getting, getting, you know, the responsible for literal murder of like the climate, people, planet, all of the systems that we're entwined with. So it's like, I don't know, seeing things that aren't, it's not black and white. We all have a part to play, but seeing that like it, it so much change has to happen at the level of governments and corporations because people have been banging on those doors for decades. And now again, we're in this code red and it needs to happen even more so. And all the victories that have happened in Canada are a result of people power. And that includes a recent bill that's, you know, Canada's first bill addressing environmental racism, a result of the people. Yeah. It's such a spiral, man, oh man, oh man. Like you just, I can't help it. I can't help but think of the spiral because all I think of is the person who says exactly what you just said, right? Not you as a, a person who lives in this world, but mm-hmm. someone who takes one of the pieces of you said, oh, the corporations are making money. As they sit in the drive through in the car they bought from a giant corporation, on the phone they bought from a giant corporation, in the drive through yeah. of the giant corporation, about to have a single-use paper cup and plastic lid, and then they make their post and they get in their car and they drive away and they think that they're 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 stewards for the world. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that, you know, but doesn't it land no, on that person too to give their head no, a shot? It, does. it 100% does. Just because like we need to hold corporations and government accountable doesn't mean that we're just, you know, ameliorated from any guilt or any responsibility. Like we all, we all have a part to play, but I think what happens is that it gets so focused on the citizen and, you know, every person should be doing their part. And it's like, well, you know, you look at it and it's actually a small minority of the world that's contributing to mass emissions, mass pollution. You know, if when there's folks who are homeless or folks that don't have enough food to buy and they've been disconnected from their traditional food sources and all the food that's around them is what's been marketed to them from Nestle, Coca-Cola, you know, all the chips, like, and that's all they have. Like, is that really their fault? Like, is that if someone doesn't have enough money to get by enough water and they're depending on these things that are adverse environmentally, is that on them? But I agree with you. Like, I think those of us that are in the position to do something have responsibility to do so for those people, for ourselves, and to put it again, take responsibility, but also put it back onto the corporations and government. So you're right. Like, if we don't want to get into a spiral, we need to see what our place is and then friggin' do something. I, I just don't see it changing until we get out of a drive through culture because that's what we are. Yeah. We're lazy, complacent yeah. drive through culture. Yeah, I think there's definitely some merit to that. Like the amount of single-use plastics that come out of that drive-through culture is massive. Mm-hmm. It's definitely massive. I went so I went today. I was I didn't have a chance to eat at home, and I was running around getting errands done and whatever. And so I went to Mucho Burrito today, and I ordered a burrito, and they were pretty good when it comes to the amount of you know trash that comes with it. But I ordered a burrito, sat inside the restaurant, and there's nothing in there that's usable more than once. 
I mean, I recycled my bottle that came, of course, with the pop. Yeah. And my um, my burrito was wrapped in, you know, wax paper. My uh, There was a, a guacamole cup that was a plastic cup. There was a <laughs> bag filled with the chips, disposable. Mm-hmm. Then there's the disposable placemat. And, but I was a dine-in, I was a dine-in patron and there's yeah. nothing in that, that, that is being used. And as I walk away and I'm thinking about Lily and I'm like, okay, legal. well, that should be legal. How can that be possible in today's world? Right. Yeah. So no, it shouldn't be, we're so behind in this country. And like, it's actually blows my mind that we're still having to advocate and lobby for this. As, as you know, I work for Surfrider foundation. A lot of our work is on plastic pollution, like Canada began the Canadian wide um, action on zero plastic waste back in was 2019 and it's 2021 and we're going towards the latter end now what has been done what has been done because all we're seeing is more pollution piling up in landfills the streets the oceans and more subsidies going to the chemical and fossil fuel industries yeah so you know meanwhile like if we had banned single-use plastics by now we wouldn't have these externalities of that drive-through culture it would be mandated that you have reusables for dine-in you know what we need to have happen is like massive investment in scales for refill and reuse across the country. Like we're seeing in in Europe and Australia, you know, for instance, like reusable and refillable grant programs, which like actually ends up sparking innovation for local community, like local business owners, which keeps more employment in those local communities, more local people, because it's not all automated in these big factories and like Starbucks and McDonald's, what have mm-hmm. you not. So that does need to happen. And we're on the cusp on it, but we def cusp of it, but we need to keep pushing for it. Like, as mentioned, we are behind in this country and there's no excuse for it. Well, and I get tangled up and you just said something there that got me too, which by the way, nothing adds to your credibility as an environmentalist more than the rooster in the background. And just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention that. I work at our offices at the Botanical Gardens in Defito and I kind of like it because I'm also a rooster. I'm the year of the rooster. Oh, are you and year I'm of the rooster? Like, so it's perfect. It on. We're feisty. So yeah, I love it. That's my, that's, that's great. my Future. But we got, I think we got to stop calling it fossil fuels uh, because it's not all fossil fuels. In fact, the majority of it's going into the plastics, right? Like it's not a fossil fuel. It's a petroleum product. It's a whatever, whatever, you know, yeah. and, we, and we get tangled up in fossil fuels as being gasoline and yeah. um, all of the mining and people say shut down fossil fuels. Well, but it's not, you can't shut down fossil fuels because the reality is, is that so much of our lives is you know, we still need fossil. We still need uh, those petroleum products in order to have the, the electric cars. Even if they were to figure out, even if we could flip a switch today and say the mining and the minerals of the batteries of electric cars, somehow it was magically fixed. Okay. Yeah. Right now say, and then also the electricity magically all we have enough that comes from the sun and windmills and hydro, like magically it all works. Okay. Let's just pretend that for a second. The reality is, is that we don't have materials to build the cars to get around in. And so I think we got to stop calling it fossil fuels because it's not fossil. It's not all gasoline. It's not. No, it's not all gasoline. It's, it's, it's a whole mixture. Petroleum, as you know, it's in so many products, packaging, how we fuel, how we fuel our cars, but also even how we fuel clean energy. Like you say, like, how are we making all, how, like, how are we getting out these materials out of the earth to make these things? And that's why like the conversation needs to go deeper into like, what does a truly regenerative decarbonized society look like mm. instead of like, okay, now we're just going to place this petroleum that was going in our cars. And now it's going to go to way more plastics and go into the other industries where it wasn't previously, you know, with the facade of clean energy. And which, you know, ultimately when it's, when it's doing that, if we're 
build, if we're building a clean energy revolution off regenerative materials, you know, what, what is that then? What does it look and like? So, yeah. Right. It merits, it merits a much bigger conversation. I think there's something to be said of like an interim of this transition um, become between like a carbonized society and decarbonizing. But right now the amount that we rely on petroleum is erroneous. It's like, you look at the amount that we would need to actually transition and do this effectively versus what's being relied on. And it's, it, it, the difference would be, would be, would be crazy. It'd be out of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this federal election is coming up, Lily. And, um, it would be interesting to take a stand with you. And this is just occurring to me. I realize it's probably a conversation <laughs> for off the air, but it's, a, it's interesting for me to look at the next, I don't know what it is. Once it comes, there's a lot of speculation that election calls are going to come this Sunday or next Sunday. Right. Uh, so, you know, to spend the six weeks on the Enviro platform and take the government into account about, okay, well, they say they've done this and this and this, they haven't, they say they're going to do this. Well, they said that last time, you know, to be able yeah. to go into it. And, um, because the government, you know, to, to me, the government really, uh, becomes the problem is that, uh, the rules just aren't there. The standards just aren't there. And mm-hmm. there is this, if anybody's faking it out, it's the government. The government's faking it out. They're saying that we're doing all these things, but they're not. And I'll just, this is unrelated topic, but let's just keep it real for a second. There are <laughs> communities in Canada that don't have clean water. Yeah. Many, many. They said they would. Don't have clean water. They said they would. They said we'd have wastewater treatment plants. They said we were going to ban all these plastics, which honestly, those should have been done ages ago. And it's like, then you maybe get one ounce done on one of these items. And it's like, oh, look how good we are. Well, and it's we like, have no, paper close. straws at A&W that fixes everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I feel you on that. It's it's challenging, especially well, when we have governments that are in for such short periods of time. And they're, and again, that's why we shouldn't, it shouldn't be allowed for big industry to be invested in these parties and for them to subsidize these industries in turn, because it's like, we, again, we go on this merry-go-round it's in, a merry-go-round. in each election. Yeah. Whereas like, if that was fixed and that was not allowed, like it is in some countries, we would have a true democracy. Maybe they're probably yeah. even then there'd be more work to do, but from my limited knowledge on that, aspect like that would certainly help well this is not this to me is not just because we get to vote for the party and just because we get to choose our job this is not (laughs) democracy as far as i'm concerned um it's it's not i mean we're just we're cogs in the wheel and it's necessary in order to keep it going okay one of the reasons that there was one topic that we batted about you and i because this conversation we can go forever on uh, and we will continue to share it because in. We have a we have a couple of things that Lily and I talk about on the air. Number one is to just have the conversation, because the reality is more of us just need to have the conversation. We don't even have to agree. There's a couple of things that Lily and I, you know, you know, black and oh. white. When we dig into it, we probably find common ground and agree on them, on things. But I just want the audience to know there are some things that you and I will look at and go, you know, black, white, blue, green, left, right. We might not see it the same way out, out of yeah. the gate, but the reality is very simple is that the common, you find the commonalities, right? And then you find the commonality. Yeah, exactly. We shy away from those conversations because of uncomfortability, but we need to lean into it. This is a time to break down that polarity and find the common ground, like you say. So, well, it's also safe to say that we've also probably taught each other things too, that we didn't consider before, which is, oh, which is awesome. So, uh, gemstones, I know this is, you wrote an article on gemstones and this seems like it might seem like a big left turn, but I'd wanted to bring it up. Gemstones are incredibly pretty. They're everywhere. They're very pretty. Um, you go to the store, you can buy them all. It's a great margin item. If you want to get into business, by the way, you can get them for super cheap. <laughs> 
Um, but this is kind of like the sand conversation we had here on the shift with you about sand being used from places and basically stolen out from under people. Um, gemstones is another one of those industries that has sort of tiptoed and creeped into the realm of, um, of it's, it's not really okay anymore, is it? Yeah, well, that's right. Like, I think that crystals used to be part of this like counterculture with tarot and, and, you know, finding itself in little incense filled bohemian shops and on little corners of festivals and street markets. But that's no longer the case. Like it has creeped into the mainstream. Like it has grown exponentially in the last decade, like to the point that like almost every mass media outlet has has covered this because it's it's crazy just how much of an impact is coming from crystals. And, you know, crystals, unlike minerals and, and precious gems like diamonds, there's no regulations around the world for crystal mining. And so, as you say, this markup is incredible because basically you can just buy crystals that are totally unregulated from child labor, from all like causing all these environmental issues and then turn around and sell it in Canada with no repercussions mm-hmm. or US or wherever. So this, here's the idea, here's the business thing. And and this is what I wanted to toss about. If you deal in diamonds in Canada, anyway, mm-hmm. in any way, you get audited every year. Yeah. One of the structures, right? You deal in diamonds and the, the margins in diamonds percentages are nowhere near what they are in some of these other products like gemstones. And I'm not saying don't go buy your crystals and your gemstones. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're going to go buy crystals and gemstones, you need to know what's going on and the fact that it's not regulated. So what do we see in that crystal world that, that are flags for you uh, in, in making you write an article about it? Yeah, the, the flags for me, like it was Forge and Sustain who I wrote the article for and they actually suggested it. And it was kind of neat because I started off my environmental journey doing a lot more work on mining when I was going to school in Toronto and um, protesting against the big uh, mining corps. And then there was the Mount Poli mining disaster in British Columbia. And I was involved in that here. And so it was kind of a new spin on something that I've already been interested in to, to learn about. And so what's been really like really interesting learning about it the last few months is the amount of like, obviously the environmental impacts, the contamination of rivers, lakes, groundwater, the amount of um, land erosion and land degradation, the amount of like leaching of chemicals. Um, crystals are also often a byproduct of larger mining of like larger metal, precious gems. Uh, and then those might be unregulated. So there's this massive impact that they're coming out of the sideline of that. Uh, and then there's a whole ethical side of it where there's a lot of crystal mines that are, you know, in developing nations with child workers, people who aren't wearing the proper protective safety gear. They're getting different lung disorders from being, um, exposed to the the minerals and what have you not in those sites. So it's just a cause for concern across the board, socially, environmentally. And then, you know, meanwhile, we're sitting here rolling our, our lapis lazuli on our face and our, our jade and thinking we're doing a great thing. We're like, oh, this is, you know, healing me. This is healing the planet. This is part of my sacred regenerative ritual. Yeah. But what is the what's the supply chain of that? Is it really? Is it really if it, re- if it has that? And so it's been really interesting to see the like contradiction and irony within a product that's espouses to create such like goodness for people on the planet. And actually, you know, you look at ancient cultures and it was used that way. You look at indigenous cultures across Canada and the U S and it was used for healing. So it's not only been a culturally culturally assimilated by Western brands, it's come so far from that original intent. 
yet still painting itself with that intent. So it's like, if we actually really like crystals, which many of us do, um, not myself, cause I'm just like awful with jewelry and, and owning most things, <laughs> <laughs> um, that we need to, that we need to put some energy into it. And, you know, again, for me, it comes back to like, let's get these regulations in place. Let's like, you know, make the companies who are, who are producing crystals responsible, like mining reclamation, for instance. It's not, uh, it's not about saying, don't go buy a crystal. It's about asking questions about where does it come from? What is the yeah. impact of it? And if it's right for you, if your belief system says that this citrine is going to change your life and you found the most beautiful citrine rock that you can possibly find and you feel like that's going to be your jam, let it be your jam. Do you need a oh. hundred of them and ask questions about it, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And you know, like from what I've been learning about it, if you can go, go to a supplier and if they can't, or a shop, and if they can't tell you where it came from in the environmental conditions and the, the labor conditions, then don't buy it. And that's kind of a true across the board for fashion, for any product. If they can't tell you about it, then don't do it because the companies that are truly working towards regeneration are going to have transparent policies, procedures, things to show for it. And two, like I, you and I have talked about the circular economy. There's so much crystal already in circulation. Go get one secondhand. There's even a, a place out of Toronto where you can rent crystals like a freaking library. Wow. So you can have a taste of the whole crystal rainbow without, again, causing that destruction. Like use what's in use, share. And I, I really love that as well. Another cool one is now crystals are being made in labs, which is pretty freaking badass. That's cool. Yeah. Being made in labs. Yeah. And so you can rely on that instead of like these, these ones that have been taken from the earth in, in unpleasant ways. That's beautiful. Uh, Lily Woodbury, uh, she's on the West Coast in Tofino, environmentalist and just insightful conversation as always. I truly appreciate it. Thank you to your rooster for coming. I'll pass it on to them. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and everything else. It's great to see you, and I look it forward to. Let's consider this. Let's consider this election thing. We'll bat that about in our private conversations, but um, let's consider what's possible here because we have a real opportunity to make sure Canadians know what's going on. Yeah, let's do it. Now hold me accountable to learn and dig into all of it. So thank you, and thank you for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. Blaine Kylo is back from vacation. Let's get started with the technological world. It is a technological world. He's back from vacation. He's refreshed and uh, looking handsome as always. Blaine Kylo, how are you? I am well. It's so nice to be back. It's so nice to see and hear you all. Oh, thanks, buddy. We missed you. We, uh, we're glad to have you back. I know that we have got lots to talk about. Can you tell us a little bit about what the uh, Kylo fam got up to? Um, it was a staycation. Oh, good. <laughs> he stayed home, played video games. <laughs> uh, there, was, there was some video games. Yeah, they, I mean, Vancouver is actually kind of an awesome place to be in the summertime. It, it's been hot hotter than normal but usually it's kind of nice and warm during the day and cools off at night and there's all these amazing activities to do so yeah really um th everything started with a ball tournament it was the provincials for the 14 year old came in third they did third which is pretty good third in the province wow nice um but they played like eight games in three days we were at the field at six thirty every morning and we weren't getting home until eight o'clock at night so yeah the, the following week was recovering from 
baseball. Baseball, wicked. Fun was had, no proud dad. Softball, I'll get in trouble. Uh, yeah, they. I mean, it's just it's such an amazing experience to see the fourteen-year-olds and how they figure out what they're capable of, um, what their limits are, what they can do. The, the bonding that happens over those three days, you know, even though they've been together for years, it's just it's it's the pressure cooker of being on a team um, when every game matters and they did amazing it was just so delightful to watch love it now blaine's great with the uh, technological stuff but his dad's stuff is always my favorite so let's get into the task at hand here i saw a sign on the right side of the road when i was in salmon arm that had a kylo it was like a business person or a realtor person maybe think of yes, you i was like oh they're expanding relative. yeah um so let's get into some of the technology and some of the samsung phone stuff we have so much to get through where are we going to start here well, we're going to start with Samsung because today they revealed details of the new Fold 3 and the new Flip 3. Samsung refuses to let folding smartphones go away, and they keep making them better every time. So the Galaxy Z Flip 3 is the one that kind of flips like the communicator from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. It does. Galaxy, Actually, it does look like that, doesn't it? It totally does, yeah. And so it, it's cool because um, when it's flipped, when you actually collapse it, it's got a real small footprint. It's really tiny, like fits into a little clutch purse um, if you're carrying those around when you're out on the town. And the other one is the Galaxy Z Fold 3, which is the one that folds down the middle. And so when you're holding it, it looks like a normal smartphone, and it's got a screen on the outside, but then when you open it up, the middle opens up to this like really big, almost tablet-sized thing. And what Samsung has done with the Z Fold 3 is it now supports the S Pen, which is Samsung's um, stylus that is designed to work with these devices. And so the Z Fold 3 suddenly becomes a really interesting functional device um, because you can start drawing and annotating and things like that on that bigger middle screen when you fold it out. These are not cheap. The Z Fold 3 starts at 2270 and the Z Flip 3 starts at 1260 So these are premium handsets, not going to be for everybody, but they keep getting better. They're released on October 27th, but you can pre-order them now. How has the folding been? Because in the very beginning of the folding digital screen, they were going to release it, then they stopped it because it sort of fell apart. That's kind of what sits in my mind with all this stuff. Is is Are we ready for the fold with the technology? Well, like I say, they, they get better every time. So this is like the third generation of these things in the past five years. And the the collapsing sort of breaking fold in the middle has largely been solved um, to the degree to, uh, that Samsung has got these things um, rated for water resistance, IPX8 water resistance. So they're confident enough with the protective film on those inner screens at the hinges that they can um, claim some water resistance. So again, it, it's not going to be for everybody, but if you're looking for a premium device that is unlike anything else that other handset uh, manufacturers are providing, Samsung's got folding and flipping at your disposal. I like the flipping one. That one looks really cool. Um, Google One, 
And maybe a little update on what is VPN for those who don't understand, why that matters and why it's in Canada. Yeah, so VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. And this is a way that you can protect your devices and your information when you're online. Because what it does is it connects your device directly to your connection to wherever it is. So anybody who's been doing remote work in the past 18 months while we've been in this pandemic, if you're working for a larger organization, you've been using a VPN to directly connect to the servers of your company. And what that means is anything that you're doing is protected from the outside world. It's like a little tunnel between your computer and the servers of your company. What Google is offering now is VPN by Google One, which is their subscription service. And if you've got a two terabyte subscription uh, for Google One in Canada, which is 14 bucks a month or $140 a year, you get a bunch of things for that. You get cloud storage, you get discounts on purchases, and now you get access to VPN if you're an Android device user. Um, and what that means is you can tap to turn on VPN and when you have a connection to the internet, Google is setting you up with a direct connection to protected servers, and they are going to um, protect your connection with, um, <laughs> it, it's encrypted, They're in, it's an encrypted connection. So mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about if you're like um, buying movie tickets or uh, a plane ticket when you're at a coffee shop. You don't have to worry about somebody being able to steal your information or your credit card because you're using a, a public network. Google One will give you a VPN connection and encrypt that so that you can do those kinds of things sitting at the coffee shop without worrying about hackers. There's a couple of large corporate people that I know and uh, I, I know a friend who works inside Google and the, the cool part that they, that I've heard about this is what this starts to allow Google as opposed to Joe small business who wants cheap storage. This starts to allow major big organizations to use Google for this work at home access documents type scenario. So when you go to the coffee shop, you can have direct protected access to your documents and keep working. Uh, maybe a bit of an opportunity to go more corporate for this product. Absolutely. It's an opportunity for Google to provide more services and by doing so, keeping people in their ecosystem, which is what all of the big tech companies are trying to do is keep people and organizations in their space. It just makes it easier for people to be confident that they're doing so safely. Uh, Blaine Kylo, uh, solocore.com, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com and on the Twitter uh, quick show meeting here, Blaine. Did you want to run this audio clip before this story or the next one? Let's talk about the survival horror, and then we'll talk about something lighter. So we'll save okay. the clip for the next. Okay, got it. So where are we going here? Are we gaming? Well, yeah. We're going to talk about Dead Space and the fact that EA Motive, which is the studio that Electronic Arts has in Montreal, is remaking one of the best survival horror games ever made. Dead Space, when it came out in 2008, was a really interesting shift because it was survival horror, which was really popular at the time with things like Resident Evil and Silent Hill. But Dead Space set the whole thing in space. And 
they introduced an interesting mechanic because the way you defeat the horrors that are coming after you is you actually dismember them. So all of the weapons that you get are designed to like cut off the limbs so that things can't come after you. Um, and it was just it kind of surprised everything. You know what? It's really good. There's some really interesting mythology that was created for this game. There were two sequels made for it. And I can't wait to see what Motive is going to do because this is a remake. It's not a remaster. They're actually um, completely remaking the game from the ground up using all of the new technology and it's designed for next gen. So it's going to be on the PS5 and the Xbox Series X and S and also your fancy Windows computers. So not going to be out before the end of 2022 at the earliest, but be really interesting to see where they go with this. So someone who doesn't like the gory, is this going to be one of those games that's probably not for them? This uh, Now, it's been a while. I played this when it came out. So, you know, it's been a few years now. Um, I don't remember it being gory. I remember it being frightening um, mm. because you're in space. So think think about playing Alien, right? So you're walking around in a space that there are no more people because they've all been consumed by these alien horrors. And mm. you're coming around corners and everything's quiet and dark and outer spacey. And out of nowhere, something comes at you. So it's more... Um, jump scare than it is gory. When I used to play those games, we used to do it with the surround sound on, the speakers, the mm -hmm. big speakers, go down to the basement and do that. Now, I know that most gamers are wearing headphones these days, and some of those gaming yes. chairs do have the back speakers behind them. What's the best way to do it? Well, really good headphones actually will give you that simulated sound. So if you've got really good gaming headset, um, you're getting that surround experience where things sound like they're coming up from behind you. And uh, I'm not joking. If you're playing Dead Space in the dark with headphones on, you get really immersed in that experience and you will jump out of your chair. Um, mm -hmm. I remember one of the, the review that I wrote of the game originally, um, I mentioned something about maybe you want to think about wearing diapers while you play it. Really? Well, I don't like scary movies, so I'll, I'm going to trust you on that one, Blainer, and say, okay, you enjoy, and <laughs> send me a text when you're done, you know? <laughs> now, the news oh, about boy. Dead Space Remake came uh, from EA Play Live 2021, which was EA's um, opportunity to sort of share what they've got coming up. And another thing that EA announced at EA Play Live 2021 is Lost in Random, and that sounds like this. Once upon a time, there were two devoted sisters named Even and Ord. Cruelly separated by an evil queen and the roll of a dice. Ah, I'm coming! So tell us about it, Blaine. Yeah, this is delightful. This is... Uh, a little bit Alice in Wonderland, a little bit Tim Burton stop motion animation. You play as this young girl in this really strange place where everything is random and you're literally accompanied by a die. 
that is personified. So you call it dicey. And that die becomes part of the mechanic of playing. So sometimes you have to roll the die to see what's going to happen, which is really what's going on behind the scenes of every video game that you play. There's all of this random generation of things. And so it's just a really interesting game. Um, and dicey becomes really important as you explore the world of random trying to find your sister odd. Let's, um, uh, this sounds odd. I, I like it. I like the, um, the mystery to it. Okay. Before we're done, Apple arcade, what's new there? Yeah. Something that I really like actually Alto's Odyssey, the Alto games are really good. Endless runners are these games where you play in them mostly on your handset and they just keep going and going and going until you screw up and you crash or you die or something. And so I really like these because you're a snowboarder and you're jumping over obstacles and performing tricks. Alto's Odyssey is the latest version, and it's landed on Apple Arcade in the form of The Lost City, which is a bit of an expansion. What this means is if you've got an Apple Arcade subscription, which costs you six bucks a month and gives you access to more than 180 games, you wow. can play Alto's Odyssey as much as you like, and it doesn't cost you any more than that subscription. Sounds like a good deal. Blaine Kylo, it's great to see your face back on our Zoom call, buddy. Uh, hope the uh, vacation was great. Sounds like it was super fun. And uh, I look forward to chatting again next week, pal. I will be here. It's the Shift Podcast. It is time for us to get into Are You Okay? You can contribute 877-399-9898. Are you okay with breakups? Break up sting, That's man. a tough one. It's always hard, but it's, uh, you know, it's often like a necessary evil. Although I'm going through a weird thing right now where I'm watching this amazing TV show, but one of the contestants looks identical to my ex. And I really like the contestant. Like I'm kind of rooting for them to win, but every time I look at them on screen, I cringe and something's mm. wrong. So see, this is the permanent lasting impact of a breakup. It's right? true. Crazy stuff. You know, and I don't want to get too hippy-dippy on it, but the reality is if you ever want to give somebody a gift in life, respectable, honest, and kind breakups are set people in the right direction as yep. opposed to the the nasty, the lies, the cheating, the um, misdirections, the, well, maybe we should get back together again. If you ever really want to crush someone's soul, screw with them, really. Is what it is. Let's oh, call it absolutely. what it is. We carry absolutely. that crap forever after that, right? Yep. Uh, so either way, though, I I can't diminish the fact that even if it goes kindly, it's not easy, right? Never. When both people can handle it like grown-ups, I mean, maybe you can come through it and find the forgiveness and the gratitude. If it's not handled in a good way, it takes forever to get through it. This story of a breakup, is absolutely not an easy one, but somehow it's kind of awesome. One Australian woman's ex. Oh, wait a second. What did Get we just ready. do, Ryan? What did we uh, do? You just said the Australia word. We did what? You did said we just talk the about Australia word. Just drive from town to paradise and you'll see why we call Australia home. Chris Gilbert's crying right now.
One Australian woman's ex went out of this uh, world while getting revenge on her. Whole new standard of revenge. He put up posters. Okay, so they break up. And then he went and put up posters in the neighborhood offering a prize for a phone caller who has the best Chewbacca roar. On the poster was a phone number to call in and submit your Chewbacca roar. That phone number was his ex-girlfriend's. Here's Nine News. A three-year relationship has turned sour. Can's mum, Jessica, dumping her cheating boyfriend. As payback, he's plastered her phone number around town, advertising a Chewbacca roaring competition, promising a $100 prize for the best one. Well, I'm getting phone calls at really strange hours of the night, about 1 o'clock till 4 o'clock, eh? I thought it was quite a funny, actually. I thought it was a good joke. A good sport, Jessica is. Just pull it down, please, and, yeah, have a laugh for me, and if you want to make a phone call, go for it. I don't mind. Bring it on. (laughs) But here's the dark side. Jessica says he's even dumped his car, tyres removed, in the driveway, blocking her in. Luckily... The force is strong in the far north. The police got in contact with me, and finally they're going to do something about it. And there's a new hope. Uh, If there's anyone out there that can do the real Chewbacca sound, I might marry you. (laughs) Adam Hegarty, Niles. Her laugh sounded like a Chewbacca roar. Chewbacca roar. I wonder Uh, if that was... Well, see, that I, I just occurred to me as you said that, Ryan, was I wonder if that's why he did it. Oh, yeah, because it's, I wonder. She, well, every time she laughs on there, it does kind of sound like Chewbacca, and I wonder if that's the secret, if that's the hidden joke here, that's, um, that she sounds like Chewbacca. Anyway, it's also pretty awesome to leave your car in someone's driveway and take all the wheels off. <laughs> I have never heard or seen somebody be so petty. Like, I love it. Damn, dude. Chill. It's not a brand new... It's not a brand new story, but it is uh, starting to trend again on the internet, and absolutely love it. So That's, when you yeah, uh, when when you uh, are in a breakup, just remind yourself, Chewbacca. Or if you want to play a really great joke on one of your friends, uh, keep that one in mind. <laughs> oh, great idea. You know, actually, uh, when I was working in the Calgary newsroom for uh, CHQR, we saw an ad going viral on Twitter that someone in Calgary was selling a replica of the Nathan's hot dog car uh, or the Oscar Mayer. We are, you know, the, the hot dog car, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I, like, I, I have to talk to the guy selling this. How'd you get it? There's the story. So I call him, everybody in the newsroom is trying to call him. And then I get a response. I do not own this. My best friend is playing a prank on me. I do not own this car. He got 287 phone calls about people trying to buy a car. He didn't have a hot dog car. There was a, there was a season where uh, one of my coworkers, who has become a very good friend, his name's Jerry Forbes. And if you uh, listen to radio in a lot of different places in Canada, you know that name. And Jerry used to do that to his buddies. When one of his buddies would try to play a joke on him or try to burn him, he would give out their phone number on the air and just say it's his birthday today. Wish him happy birthday. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and most of his friends uh, that he would do this to were self-employed. So they couldn't work because their phone would ring nonstop all day and you're like dude you gotta stop this it's a great burn very well done 
Are you okay? Are you okay with rebranding? Hmm. A rebrand? How would I rebrand? I would just fully change my name to Rhino. Or to type. Type, type, type no, typo. New haircut. Is is a haircut part of your brand? Mm, That would be a rebrand. Yeah. I've been thinking about uh, more tattoos and like a small stud black earring. I've been, that's, I'd say that's a rebrand. It's a rebrand. So I think it's, I think it's cool. Yeah. Why not? Right. All right. I still think you should go with Typo Donald. Yeah. But we will see. Sports teams rebrand all the time. Can bring more interest in for the team. Merchandising, right? Small little adjustments to the logo. Uh, some of the drastic ones, Vancouver Canucks. Toronto Maple Leafs, not a lot of rebranding over the years. Yep. Vancouver Canucks, a lot of rebranding. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So a rebrand can also right some wrongs that have been made in the past, too. We've seen it with you know other sports teams. Two weeks ago, the Cleveland Indians announced that at the end of the 2021 season, the Indians will transition from the name they've been known since 1915 and replace it with the Guardians. The name change comes after years of pressure to drop the name, which many consider to be racist. Here's a look at why the team chose the Guardians for their new name from WKYC Channel 3. As the industrial city was transforming into a fully automotive era, the Guardian statues made their mark in 1932. They are the guardians of traffic, sometimes given as the guardians of transportation. But You can't miss them. The sandstone carvings, all eight of them carrying a mode of transportation that carries you through the evolution of time. They go from stagecoaches and hay wagons up to an electric delivery cart. The bridge connects the two sides of the city, split by the Cuyahoga River, the river the city was created around. Historians say the Hope Memorial Bridge, where these monumental statues live, is the single piece of infrastructure that keeps the city of Cleveland connected. I didn't actually okay. know that. That's cool. No, That's a good, I, good idea. For I knew there team. was a backstory to Guardians yeah. in Cleveland. And I always I thought, you know what, what a cool name. And there's a story there. That seems awesome. There's probably some Great marketing name. person somewhere who is thinking they're genius with what happened. One problem. A male roller derby team in Cleveland has been called the Guardians for nearly a decade. They also own the website. You need to do your research, man. <laughs> they own the URL. Wait, hold on. I'm going to type it in right now. Cleveland. Okay, hold on. I'm going to do this. Like, isn't that on. not one of the first things you check in today's world? Is is the domain available? Oh, my God. <laughs> if you type in clevelandguardians.com, I am looking at the advertisement for a male roller derby team. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yikes. That's amazing. Now recruiting for the 2022 season, if you're in Cleveland. Where's Nate? Mm. Nate, yeah, Nate, you need to go to a, a Guardians game and tell us how it is, man. Let's just put this out there, though, for a couple of things. Number one, in the history of changing names, some of those teams carry names that are supported by local, in this particular case, indigenous groups, right? If it was, yep. you know, the Braves or the Chiefs or something like that. Some local areas are actively supporting these groups. And so that's why some change and some don't, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying this is why. Some, But in this particular case, there was no connection 
locally to what they were doing. So according to Fortune, in this little screw-up of marketing lack of research, the Guardians roller derby team has filed a trademark application for the rights to the name. The MLB team did the same four days before them, but trademarks often go to the first entity to use the name because if you can prove that you've been doing business in that manner, you will get it. The question is, is they are not a baseball team, but they are in the same city. Be curious to see where it goes. So if you've been doing business under the name Type O'Donnell for 10 Mm -hmm. years, and then all of a sudden someone comes along and creates a business for Type O'Donnell, you could say, hey, by the way, this has been my business for 10 years. I own it. Now you'd have to go to court to get that. That costs money. That's why people file for it first. Should the baseball team lose the trademark battle, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have to change its name. It just means it's going to have to pay the male roller derby team some registration fees for a long time. <laughs> long time. Hey, could be great for both teams. I now know of a male roller derby team in Cleveland, which I would not have known. Yeah. Uh, it's just funny that they wouldn't have checked for the, the domain name. A lot of people things. do this. There's a, There was a time where Rudy Giuliani, who is on Cameo now, by the way, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in case you missed it, uh, had a website asking for donations, and he didn't buy the domain name, and then John Oliver bought it and replaced the website with a very lewd photograph. Because no, <laughs> people always forget to do it. It is very important to do this. Yeah, it is. It is very important to do it. And in this particular case, I mean, it sounds to me like the roller derby is going to get a bunch of free New Jerseys and a yeah. whole bunch of money. And they're going to get some money and they're going to get a new website domain. And it's going to work out really well for them. Text messages, 877-399-9898. Ali does suggest Ryan as part of your rebrand. You should be wearing an eye patch. Ooh, yar. I can do that. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, you'd be good, eh? Come on, give us a, give us one of those little, uh, one of those little pirate things you do. Are you okay? On the seven seas, we say. Are you okay with ice cream kick? Mm. Oh my God, it's the best kind of kick. Who doesn't love ice cream kick? Come on. I, I, it's, you go to a party and somebody has like, oh, you have a nice rosé chocolate drizzle cake. I'm like, I don't care. I, this could be a $300 cake that took you days to make. I would take a Dairy Queen ice cream cake every time. It's mm-hmm. the best kind of cake. Just is. The only people who don't bring an ice cream cake to a party are lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. If there is a ice cream cake at a party, even the lactose intolerant people will still have a piece. It's Probably that good. Have a, a bite. Yes, it's just objectively. That's going to be my entire wedding cake. I don't care if it melts. I, it, it will melt before this. Before I'm actually married, we'll eat the ice cream cake. Just so it doesn't I love melt. It. Yeah. Plus, they keep in the freezer longer than normal cake anyway, so I wouldn't you. Okay, before we get on about cakes, let's talk about helicopters. Okay. Are you okay with helicopters? Yeah, I I've never been in one. I'd like to be. Oh, uh, yeah, they're amazing. I really like uh, flying them and playing them in video games. That's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah. How's your motion sickness? Uh, I do pretty okay with motion sickness. Yeah. Helicopters really, you feel the yaw, which oh, is the yeah, twisty. I imagine. Uh, so, okay, well, uh, we've heard all kinds of stories about, I had a dream last night that a jet landed, like, on a street in a parking lot, which, oh. 
it was kind of weird, right? Like it was a private jet, and I was like, that's a weird place to land. But it was in my dream, so that's what happened. This is not a dream. This is a legit, real-deal story. We've heard about planes and helicopters having to make unusual landings, emergency landings on roads, right, football fields, all that kind of stuff. For example, here's a story from Fox 5, something like that. In an empty dirt lot right along the 15 South and Highway 76 at Old Highway 395 in Fallbrook, a military helicopter sits 24 hours after making an emergency landing Monday afternoon. Uh, it's been our entertainment for the day. The military confirms the CH-53 Super Stallion based out of MCS Miramar was forced to make the landing after the pilots noticed a cockpit warning indicating generator failure. The chopper landed without incident. According to folks who work out here, though, one Marine was stationed on board the chopper overnight. Yeah, I guess when he got off of his watch, he came over here to get coffee. <laughs> so cold. <laughs> so cool. When you take your pilot's license, one of the first things that you get trained in is how to scan constantly for options to land. It's the, one of the things you do as a pilot that you constantly are looking for safe places to land in case of an engine failure. It's the biggest thing you do. And which, by the way, a field is better than a road because roads often have power lines. That's why that happens that way. Now, when you have a helicopter, we've said, oh, I would love to. I wish I had a helicopter so I could get out of this darn traffic. People say that, right? Imagine flying to work. That'd be so much easier. It's the inspiration, in fact, for flying cars. Now, what happens when you take a helicopter back to the original point of this, are you okay? And you have an urgent need to get an ice cream cake home before it melts. Well, this. This is ridiculous. We just can't wait here. I think it's going to be any minute now. But you don't know that. I mean, we could be here another half an hour. Phyllis, what could you possibly have to do? I have an ice cream cake in the car. Oh, my God. Go, go, go. Are you insane? You can't waste that time. No, it's precious. According to, a when according to a Wednesday news release from RCMP, police in Tisdale, Saskatchewan, received a call on July 31st around 5 p.m. that a helicopter had landed in a busy parking. Hmm, Lot. <laughs> that's a funny typo. In a busy parking. That's a typo. Thank in you. a busy parking lot. Witnesses saw the helicopter land and blow dust and debris throughout the area, which is surrounded by middle and high schools. Keep in mind, it is July. Businesses and an aquatic center. Officers determined that the helicopter did not land for an emergency, but rather for a passenger to hop out and buy an ice cream cake at the Dairy Queen in town. RCMP found out that the 34-year-old pilot from Leroy, Saskatchewan, was licensed to pilot a chopper and had landed in an illegal location. His name has not been released. Police charged him with one count of dangerous operation of an aircraft on August 4th. <laughs> that's a pretty, uh, I don't condone this, but that's a pretty hilarious reason to be charged with a crime. I'm just wondering what's going through their head. Like, they're flying over. Tisdale, Saskatchewan, and he looks down and he sees the DQ sign, sees the grill and chill slogan, and he goes, oh, ice cream cake would be great. <laughs> that field looks fine. It's Tisdale, Saskatchewan. Nobody's going to notice. No one's going to notice. <laughs> but someone did. Well, I it's, uh, I imagine that they, like, he's from Leroy, so maybe they just flew and like, hey, did you bring a cake? No, I thought you were bringing the cake. That's okay. I'll jump in my helo and we'll go. Right? Like, if when you take your pilot's license, you learn where you can and cannot land. Yes. 
Now, you can't land on a Dairy Queen, but you can land near a Dairy Queen. Apparently. Ev- evidently. Uh, unless, of course, it's in the middle of a field somewhere close by in the middle of town, which is usually One- the rule for the most part is you can't land inside city limits unless it's a designated landing area. <laughs> yeah, or an emergency. But uh, what uh, w- there is a big problem here. The RCMP did not release the most important piece of information. What did they get rid of on the cake? The, no, what <laughs> happened to the ice cream cake? Did it melt? Did they get home in time? I don't know. Was it consumed? Do you think they got a helicopter on the cake? Is that asking too much? Can you make our <laughs> cake look like that out there, please? Because it's Bob's birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Bob. Are you okay here on The Shift? Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.